Friends, welcome to the Slaking Thirst podcast, where you'll find the homilies, talks, and reflections of Father Ryan Mann and Father Patrick Schultz of the Diocese of Cleveland. Slaking Thirst is all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, which is also a divine heart, seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts will meet and both thirsts will be slaked. Thanks for joining us on the journey into Christ's desire for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord God, thank you again for the gift of this day. Thank you for just giving us another chance to dive more deeply into this topic of worth. Lord, we thank you for this good weather. We thank you for just all the many graces and blessings. I ask you to still our hearts and our minds that we would have, again, that vulnerability, that receptivity, that docility of mind and heart to actually let you speak to us. Lord, if you want that lady to stop power washing, that'd be great too, Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. All right. I thought she was about to stop. That would have been awesome. All right. So again, uh, you should have in your journals, in your notebooks, that little uh, sheet of paper for uh, just kind of guiding your your mind as you're listening. Just... uh, you know, to be actively listening, paying attention, what's striking, what's standing out, what's the Lord seeming to say. Um, all right, so this morning, uh, and when we broke up into small group, the, I, shared with, I shared with you guys this morning about, like, where our worth comes from. Uh, if someone could summarize that whole concept, someone give me a summary of what I was sharing in that regard this morning, about where our worth comes from. Quinn. Yeah, it's from God. It's not from anything that's in this world, not from anything that we do, not in the way that we are esteemed or held up by anybody else. It's, it's, we, are, we have worth because of the one who says we are worthy. All right, so uh, yeah, it's the Lord who says you're worth the trouble, you're worth dying for, right? So while all of that might be true, I guess the related question that I want to reflect on this afternoon um, is this, that when it comes to responding to that love, when it comes to responding to that God, um, is that worth it? Like, in other words, like, is it worth it to follow him? Is it worth it to invest in this faith? Is it worth it to seek to grow in relationship with Christ? Like, he's saying, like, no, you are worth it. And now the question is, like, is he worth it? That's an important question to ask, right? It's an important question to, to reflect on. Because I think the knee-jerk reaction is, uh, like, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm just not so sure. And I think the fact that that's kind of our knee-jerk reaction, at least that it was when I was your age, like, no, this is, this church thing, this faith thing, it's not really worth it. I think that highlights a massive problem that we have, a big problem of, like, vision, a big problem of our imaginations, a a dramatic problem when it comes to how we understand these things, right? Like, because when I say the word disciple, or when I say that you guys are called to be disciples, you're called to live a life of discipleship, I think what often happens is that, like, what comes to mind is a life that's drab and dull and boring and not as fun, a life that's, that's limited, a life that is uh, not as exuberant, a life that is somehow missing out on things that otherwise would make life exciting. Like, I think because that's so often, I'm not just saying it's even just you guys, I think within the church itself right now, when we talk about discipleship, I think that's how most people envision it, that it's just like... I just don't think I want that. That sounds like a less than kind of life, right? 
or it's a life that just is weird and I don't want any kind of part of that, right? If like, yeah, if that's where our mind is at, we got a problem because I think where a lot of people, what people end up thinking is that like those who are really experiencing the spice of life or the excitement of life are people who are, um, I mean, let's just be honest, like, the, like sinners, <laughs> like people who are doing the things that we regard as sin, right? The people who are throwing off, you know, the morals or the way of life that the church would put out to us, like the people who are rejecting um, any kind of limitation on their freedom, like that seems like the good life. Don't let me be hemmed in by anything. You don't tell me to do anything. That the good life seems to be the self-directed, self-made, self-discovered life. And anything that like, gets in the way of that is, is bad. I think that's what a lot of people in our world and our culture think. And what's, what's astounding there is just the utter lack of imagination. That, or just a total misinformation about what discipleship is. right? As if like following God is anything but this amazing adventure because that's really what it is that's that's if you ask anybody who's really committed their life to the lord i mean that's what happens that's when the adventure starts that's when the adventure starts and the real problem i think we have in the church is we have a lot of people who are not living the joy of the gospel we have a lot of people who like who are witnessing to a very like repulsive form of christianity if Christianity means I have to be like very quiet and somber and my life is not fun, like I don't want it. But the, the thing is like I follow the Jesus who said to us, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's the Jesus that I believe in. That's the Jesus that's in the scriptures. There's only one Jesus, right? A Jesus that says I came that you might have a crappy life and be boring until you die a miserable, lonely death. Like that's not the real Jesus. That's not the real Jesus. So like, when you think about this word discipleship, when you think about this responding to God, when you think about being a disciple, like that's where the excitement is. And the saints, the ones who both the church has canonized and the saints who like we've never canonized, saints who will only meet in heaven, the saints are the ones who like lived the least boring lives. If you want to live a boring life, just have it be self-directed, self-guided. If you want to live a boring, mediocre life, stay in charge of your life. Honestly. If you want to have a life that's completely hemmed in and limited, enclosed and lacking in adventure, stay in the driver's seat. But if you want to have a life of immense adventure, like high romance, incredible drama, depth of meaning, power, beauty, purpose, all of these things... Get out of the driver's seat and let God take control. The saints are the ones who did that. The saints are the ones who said, Lord, you're in control. They live the least boring of lives. Like, they are not the boring ones. They are the least boring people. And like the saints are not the same. That's the crazy thing about the saints. You look at like culture, like everyone ends up kind of looking the same. Like I remember when I was in, going back to my middle school days, right? My whole desire to be cool. One of the things, just like today, one of the things back then was all about, like, the kind of shoes you're wearing or the kind of clothes you're wearing, right? Like, I remember when I was in sixth grade, you were not cool unless you had this pair of shoes called uh, Adidas Superstars, okay? There was these kind of shoes that uh, if you were going to be cool, you had to have this pair of shoes. You know what? You know who had those shoes? Every single guy in sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade. Every single person had the same shoes. 
Like, do you guys realize that in the attempt to fit in to be cool, you all end up looking the same, talking the same, acting the same? You might not know that because you're in it, right? But trying to fit into some mold of this world only means that you're going to be the same. I don't know about you. I don't want that. Because God made every single one of us utterly unique, unrepeatable, and irreplaceable. We are totally distinct, and yet we spend so much of our lives just trying, oh, I just got to be just like every other fish in the school. He's like, I didn't make you to blend in. I didn't make you to be the same. I didn't make you to just like be exactly like everyone else around you. I made you to be exactly who you are. Like every single one of us is this utterly unique instrument crafted by God that only we can offer our note to the choir that God has made. And he says, I don't want you to be the same. I want you to be different. The saints are completely different. You've got like St. Joan of Arc. St. Joan of Arc. You know St. Joan of Arc? Right? This 17-year-old girl who led the French army like against the English in battle. Okay? She's captured by the English. She's interrogated. She's like imprisoned, tortured, and then burned to death at the stake. This girl is a warrior princess. Like she wielded swords, led battles... Okay, wore armor, killed people, okay? We call her Saint Joan of Arc. And then you've got Saint Therese of Lisieux, this 24-year-old girl. She was a Carmelite nun and mystic who lived in total obscurity in this tiny little convent in, in Lisieux, France. She is considered the patron saint of missionaries. So this girl who never went anywhere, died at 24, she's the patron saint of missionaries. Why? Because she has this burning passion to intercede for everyone around the world. She said, I will spend my time in heaven doing good on earth, and I will let fall a shower of roses. This girl who is like the image of, I don't know, like she's called the little flower, okay? Very different than the sword-wielding Joan of Arc, right? But they're both saints. They both are partying in heaven. You got St. Francis of Assisi, who was this incredibly rich nobleman, this, this kid who of like immense privilege in his day. He has this powerful encounter with the Lord, and he stands in this town square strips himself, like literally, strips off all of his fine silk robes and everything in front of his father, who's totally mortified. His father comes up to him and is saying, you are never going to be my son. And the bishop comes up behind him and wraps him in his robes to cover him. Francis of Assisi, who literally changed the church forever, right? The church that was crumbling in the 13th century, Francis completely rebuilt it and re revitalized it. This amazing, tender heart. And at the same time, you've got an Ignatius of Loyola, a guy who was a soldier in battle. He was so filled with his own ego, so vain, that he, he broke his leg in the Battle of Pamplona. His leg was blasted by a cannonball. Okay, imagine that. A cannonball smashing his leg. These are the days before anesthesia, days before antibiotics, all these things. So he goes to get, he has surgery, essentially, to have his leg, the bone reset. So they have the leg reset and then it heals. This is after several months. And back in the day, the, the men of the court, they would wear these very tight tights. Tights were cool back then, right? Okay, so he's wearing these tight tights. And there's a piece of the bone basically sticking out of his leg. And it looked really nasty in his tights. He was so vain that he said, I will undergo surgery again for you to cut that piece of the bone off so my legs look good in tights. True story. He totally did. Then he has this powerful encounter with the Lord when he was recovering from that surgery. And now he's saying, Ignatius Loyola, again, who changed the course of church history. The saints are totally different. You've got St. Gianna Beretta Mola, this incredible doctor and physician. This woman who is pregnant, she died like 
less than a few decades ago. She was pregnant with her fifth child, I think, and she developed cancer. And the doctor said, all right, we have to abort the baby to save your life, to do chemo and radiation therapy. She said, no way. She said, I'm going to carry the baby to term, and then, if it's possible, we're going to do chemo and radiation. That's what she did. And she died pretty much right after she gave birth to her daughter, who was at her own mom's canonization mass. Her daughter, also named Gianna, is still alive today. I met her. And you've got Padre Pio. You've got all these saints, these amazing people. St. Catherine of Siena, who literally bossed the Pope around and told him to get his butt back to Rome. Like, amazing people. The saints were the least boring people because they gave their lives to the Lord, because they chose the life of discipleship. Because they said, I don't want to be the one in the driver's seat of my life. I don't want to blend in. I don't want to be the same. I want to do what the Lord's asking me to do, what he created me to be. You were each made for a definite purpose. Like no one else can do for the world what God has given you to do. No one else can say yes to the Lord for you. Just like the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and asks her this profound question, giving her this mission. God has a profound question for you. And only you can say yes to the Lord for you. No one can give your yes to God. No one can do your mission for you. It's up to you, and it's only on you. So the Lord is the one who issues the call. The Lord is the one who says, follow me. You hear it over and over again in the scriptures, follow me, follow me. And so often what we end up doing, we say, like, where? (laughs) To do what? And will it be worth it? Where are you calling me? What are you calling me to do? And like, will it be worth it? So here's the question. What is the it? What is the it? When we say, will it be worth it? If I could put it this way, I would say the it refers to, I'm going to unpack this, but the dropping of the nets. The dropping of the nets. There's a scene in Matthew's gospel uh, where Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. You know the scene. And Simon and his brother Andrew are casting their nets into the sea. It says that they were fishermen. And then Jesus looks at them and says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And then the gospel story says, and immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. They dropped their nets and followed him. So these are the guys who they were, you have to understand in the ancient Jewish world, especially for males, especially for guys, you were training essentially in synagogues and rabbinical schools up to about the age of 12. Right? You were learning Torah, you were memorizing the law, and at age 12, you got invited into what's called the Bet Midrash, the school of teaching. So at age 12, you got invited into this thing if you had like, enough potential, if the rabbis thought, okay, he's going to be somebody. So in other words, if you, were, like, if you were these guys, if you were a fisherman, it meant that you'd, they didn't think that you had the chops. You weren't worthy of being called upon by a rabbi to follow him. And so you went back to your father's house and you just basically learned your father's trade. You became an apprentice. That was what, honestly, most people did in the ancient world. So these guys, Simon and Andrew, James and John, all the guys that Jesus calls are people who were passed over. People who the rabbis thought weren't good enough. They were flunkouts from the Bet Midrash. They didn't have what it took. They weren't smart enough. And Jesus looks at them, these guys who had built up this significant business. They had boats. They had multiple boats, actually. They probably knew a few languages. They were good at, you know, commerce, things like that. And Jesus looks at them and says, follow me. In other words, leave the entire, like, matrix of 
safety that you have. Leave everything behind. I want you to follow me. Because here's the thing. In order to follow him, you have to be willing to drop the nets. You can't follow him holding on to the nets. And what are the nets? The nets, they represent like all the ways that we want to stay in control of our lives. The nets represent all the ways that the world tells you, especially right now in this season of your life. It's all the ways the world tells you, this is how you need to live your life. We've talked about this throughout this year, especially at the beginning. How often you are asked, as a young person, what do you want to be when you grow up? In other words, like, you're the master of your fate, you're the captain of your soul, you get to decide and direct your life. What do you want to be when you grow up? We never get asked, God, what do you want me to be when I grow up? We never ask that question. The nets are like all of the ways that we have been told by the world, this is how you have to structure your life. This is what you need to have in your life in order to be happy. These are all the things that you need to be doing in your life in order to be successful. Remember we talked about the dash at the beginning of the year? The nets are all the ways the world says you're going to, this is how you have a good dash. Go to high school, go to college, get a good job, settle down, live life, don't, you know, murder people and don't cheat on your taxes. Like as if that's the sum total of what it means to have a good life. The nets represent all the ways we want to stay in control. So a little bit more about my story. So like, I've shared this with you guys, I think, a little bit, but like I, I had an intense fear of applying for the seminary. So I encountered the Lord that junior year of high school at that retreat at that retreat meeting. And it was after that, shortly within, I don't know, the span of a few months, I got super involved in the youth group at my home parish. I was going to Bible studies, I was going to all sorts of things. I was diving very deep into our faith, reading books, all these things, just just devouring everything that I could because it was suddenly like for the first time in my life, I began to see that this faith of ours, which seemed just annoying and old and archaic, this faith of ours actually um, made a ton of sense. It had incredibly compelling answers and it actually corresponded to my heart's desires. And it was within that context that people started asking me if I'd ever thought about being a priest. Now you have to understand, in my home parish, um, the pastor who's been at my parish since 2002, he retired uh, in, t- in 2020, so he was there for 18 years. Since he was pastor in those 18 years, something like 28 guys from my parish have gone to the seminary. Okay? Not all of them that got ordained, but about 28 guys at least went to the seminary. So at St. Mary's in Hudson, it was just not an uncommon thing for guys to be going to the seminary, to be thinking about just going to the seminary for a year or two. It's like, is this for me, Lord? So it was within that context, people started asking me if I'd ever thought about going to the seminary. I was a young guy in high school, super involved in my faith, super, I don't know, faithful and engaged. So yeah, of course, it was natural for people to ask, like, hey, I could see you being a priest if you thought about going to the seminary. And I, I hadn't, and I was terrified by that question. I was terrified by that question. I remember as like the months went on in my junior year, um, it felt like, it felt like I'm driving the car of my life and this other hand was reaching in from the passenger seat, like grabbing a hold of the steering wheel. Now you guys aren't drivers yet, so you don't really have a full feeling of how terrifying that would be. 
and you're driving, all of a sudden, like, another hand comes in on the steering wheel. You're like, well, you know, get out of here, kind of a thing, is what it felt like. Like, get out of my life. Like, I do not want you get directing my life. Like, I had, you know, I had some goals. I had some vision of where I thought my life would go. Um, but not a ton of clarity. But I remember those, those early months of feeling like another hand, another will was entering my will and saying, how about we go this way? And I'm like, we're not going that way. That seems scary. It seems scary. It was so scary to begin feeling like I was being invited to relinquish control, I guess is what it is. Like I share with you guys, my parents were business owners. I, they were super successful. I never wanted for anything. And, and I had all those good grades I was telling you about. I had really great scores on my SAT and ACT. Um, and while I was in high school, I really didn't have like a burning passion for like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a dentist. No, I never want to be a dentist. I hate going to the dentist. But I, lo- I love you, Deacon Rich. I love you. It's the sounds and the smells. But yeah, I had no real passion for like a direction in my life. I didn't want to be like, um, you know, anything in specific. But what I knew was I wanted to stay in control of my life. So one of my best friends in high school, we were real close in, in youth group. His name is uh, Jeff Barnish. Jeff and I, we, uh, we've been friends since fifth grade on the bus together. And Jeff, uh, Jeff was a star athlete. He was an uh, amazing basketball player. He was an amazing uh, track star, pole vaulter, um, just an all-around awesome guy. And he, were, he and I were really close through youth group. And, um, and just like me, people asked him, junior year, senior year, you know, Jeff, I think you'd be a great priest. I think, I think you really should think about going to the seminary. Um, well, Jeff and I both were pretty dead set on not doing that. We, neither of us wanted to do that. Uh, in fact, we made this like pact agreement after we graduated um, high school that we were both not going. He had an amazing full ride scholarship to uh, ROTC uh, at University of Rochester. He had a two hundred forty thousand dollars scholarship, which is a lot of cheddar. Uh, full ride to Rochester, and I had a full ride to the University of Dayton. So we were both going to school totally for free. Um, he was going to do—I think he was going to do engineering. He was like a math science guy. Um, I was originally a painting major, go figure. But um, so we both were dead set. We're not going, I'm not going, you're not going. The church needs good men to be good husbands, good fathers. That's what we're gonna do. We were both pretty committed to, you know, okay, maybe one day we'll work for the church. That was our plan. That was how we wanted to stay in control. So as the summer wore on, um, I heard from a, from a friend, a mutual friend, that in August, it was like early August, that Jeff had gone on this like little retreat and that Jeff had actually changed his mind about this, that Jeff was actually going to go to the seminary. Now, Jeff didn't call me. He didn't tell me. He didn't let me know. I just found this out through a friend, and I, I ended up calling him. I said, is this true? Are you actually going to the seminary? He's like, yeah, man. I, I went on retreat, and I just basically said, Lord, I'm going to give you a holy hour every single day, and you just got to make it clear. And he said by the end of the first holy hour, he knew that it was, it was like game over. He knew he was going. So the rest of the retreat, he just prayed for his parents to understand and accept the decision. I was, I was upset. I was really upset. I was really upset that like he, he, he changed his mind. Um, and I just, I kind of like hardened myself and I said, fine, man, forget you. I'm going to Dayton and I'm going to show you how wrong you are and how right I am. Uh, I'm wearing a Roman collar now and you call me Father Pat so you can see how that story ended. So I went to Dayton basically to spite Jeff and to show him how um, he made the wrong decision. And I... I went to Dayton, 
and I had, uh, I had some awesome friends. I had great grades in all my classes. All my professors were basically asking me to be uh, teacher's assistants for them in the next year. So basically, I, I'd done so well in all my classes that they wanted me to assist them in teaching the other undergrads. Um, it was a phenomenal experience. I, I had a wonderful girlfriend. Um, I was practicing, I was in the praise and worship band on campus, leading praise and worship retreats, things like that. I wasn't fooling around really. I was, I was really behaving myself morally speaking. Um, and I was still going to mass. I was still going to the sacraments. But every time I did, I had this nagging feeling that I was still, I had still made the wrong decision. I had like everything you're supposed to have in college to be happy, everything. And I was actually miserable. I was so unfulfilled, so, so unfulfilled. I have so many memories of lying on, in my bed in my dorm, room 413 of Marycrest, lying in that bed at night, just kind of tossing and turning, just feeling like I, I, there's got to be more to life than this. Like there's just got to be. There's got to be more to life than this because this is miserable. You know how people talk about like hoping there's a light at the end of the tunnel? I felt like when I was at Dayton, the light at the end of, t at the, end of the tunnel went out. Like I just kind of lost hope. I was so immersed in like, so immersed in, in my small world of being in control. What broke me out of that, I had this powerful experience in prayer uh, that spring semester. I was sitting in front of Jesus again in the Eucharist, and I felt, I felt like I was sitting in a block of ice, like a big block of ice, like so cut off from everything, so cut off from the Lord, so cut off from joy and meaning and purpose. And I remember sitting there just looking at Jesus in the Eucharist and just saying, I am so sick of this. I am so sick of this. And I don't know if it's a voice like I'm here, like, like you can hear my voice right now. But I heard some kind of voice of the Lord saying to me, hey, how about we try it my way? And don't be afraid. And literally, I felt like everything around me was melting and I was just sobbing. Just like every orifice of my face was leaking fluids. It was, it was nasty. It was one of those like, <laughs> kind of like hard, hard, hard cries. I was so grateful that I was alone in this chapel. Um, because it would have been real embarrassing. So, yeah. So I, I let go of those nets. I let go of those nets that all throughout that year, the Lord had just kept whispering through other people in my own prayer. Like, why don't you drop the nets? Why don't you drop the nets? It's time to drop the nets. I dropped the nets in, the, in that spring, and I went to the seminary in the fall of 2008. And, uh, and I never looked back. I never looked back. As Jesus' call, follow me, might one day for, uh, it might mean for some of you guys, and I'm actually certain for some of you, it might mean like follow me to the seminary. Like, like it did for me. Like follow me to this place of discernment. Follow me to this place of um, giving it a shot to find out if like this is the life the Lord's calling you to. For some of you ladies, it might mean like have the insane courage to follow me to... Like consider entering a convent to consider entering like postulancy throw, like throw your life away on the Lord be so 
stupid to waste your life on Jesus. There's an amazing scene in the gospel right before Jesus enters his passion where he's in the home um, of Simon, the Pharisee, and Mary Magdalene comes up behind him with this costly jar of aromatic nard. It's basically like a perfumed oil. And it says that she cracks the alabaster jar open and she pours a liter of this fragrant oil, this perfume on Jesus's head. And it's Judas Iscariot who says, why has she done this? That could have been sold for over a hundred days wages and that money could have been given to the poor. In other words, it was Judas. Judas was the one who said, we should have done something practical with that. We should have done, we should have done something like earthly. We should have done something that made sense. We shouldn't have done that, that such a wasteful gesture. Look, you are the alabaster jar. You are that jar. And Jesus is saying, like, have the courage to be willing for your life to be wasted on me. Have the courage for your life to be wasted on me, to be poured all over me. Again, that's what this his call, follow me, might mean for many of you. I really think it does. Like, it might mean, like, follow me to a life of, like, the vocation of marriage, too, also, for a number of you. Like, be willing to give your life to another person. Be willing to be open to children. Be willing to be generous with your family. Be willing to, like, not have the normal life. Be willing to, like, have, like, a big Catholic family. Like, and I'm just going to share this with you ladies. Like, be willing to stop buying the lie that you will only be fulfilled as a woman if you have a career. I'm just going to be honest and say it. That's what the world is just shouting at you. That to be a successful woman means you have to be working in the world. Be willing to be a mom. That's where the Lord can say, follow me. Like those decisions though, they're, they're, they're certainly years away. Like right now, the call for you guys is follow me on the path of discipleship. Follow me there. Like follow me in living this life, engaging in this faith, investing in your faith, like plugging in to youth group, like starting this summer. We have a lot of amazing opportunities like for you guys this summer and next fall. Like, don't wait to get involved. If you wait to get involved, it's going to feel too late and you won't get involved. Like, I know some of you are not going to Catholic high school, and that's totally fine. Those who are going to Catholic high school, don't make the mistake of thinking that because you're going to a Catholic high school that that's sufficient for your faith formation. Just because you're taking a theology class in high school does not mean you're being formed as a disciple. It just means, honestly, that you might be able to memorize pretty good. Be willing to follow this life, engage in this faith, grow in your prayer life. And here's the question, like, is that worth it? Is it worth it to do that in high school? Because everything in the culture right now, from social media to movies to TV, everything in the culture is saying, like, no, that's not really worth it. And there's probably big parts of your hearts that right now, as you think about that going forward, that are like, I just, I don't think I want to do that. 
Like, maybe, but I don't know. Like, because to follow him is to swim hard against the stream. To follow him is to swim against the stream. To follow him in high school means that you're going to be making choices and decisions that, like, others are not making. To follow him means you won't take, like, part in things that other people are doing. To look different and to be different. It might mean that you are standing up for things in classes, opinions, positions, issues that other people are not standing up for. That you might be the only voice in a class that says, no, I don't think abortion's right. You might be the only person in a class that says, no, I only think marriage is between a man and a woman. Oh man, and just get ready to get crucified. But that's okay. Jesus says, blessed are you when they hate you and persecute you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. Like, be willing. Like, are you willing? Are you willing to go there? Because it feels like, I, I, is that, I don't know if that's worth it. I don't know if that's worth it. To follow him might mean that you're going to look different. I, actually, I can guarantee you you're going to look different. That you're not going to blend into that crowd. And like I said, people might persecute you. I don't think physically. I hope not physically. But um, you might even have teachers that, like, punish you for, like, for the opinions that you have. It's, it's just a fact of the world we live in. If you're going to stand up for Christ and the truth of our faith, just get ready for rocks to be thrown at you. And if no one's told you that, I'm sorry we haven't told you that, but this life of discipleship, this life of being a Christian, is not this mamby-pamby, like, electric blanket of coziness. Like, the path of Christianity, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, here's a cross. If you're going to follow me, Here's a cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, you can leave your cross there. I got the cross. You can have the comfy life. That's not what he says. If you would follow me is the phrase. If you would follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, not once or twice, but daily, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. So here's the question. Who would willingly accept that? Like, who would do that? Who would really do that? Because it doesn't sound very sane. It sounds actually quite insane. Who would do that? You know, there's another story in the gospel that I love when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and he's comparing it to all sorts of things. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he gives these different images. One of my favorite ones is, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure buried in the field. Then it says he goes and then sells everything that he has to buy the field to get that treasure. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Like, I don't know where you're at, you guys, in terms of your journey, whether you have found the treasure. But I know when I found the treasure... Or rather, it found me, I guess, to be perfectly honest. And the treasure is, like, knowing who I am. That's the treasure. And knowing that I am so loved. The treasure is relationship with love himself. That's the treasure. The treasure is this unbelievable relationship with love himself. And here's the question. Is it worth it? To be united to the one who finally 
secures me, who anchors me in the truth that I am worth it. Like, because the reality is our hearts are always going to be nervously looking around to know, like, am I good? Am I loved? Am I safe? Am I seen? And the only one who can really answer that question and who can settle our hearts in that question is Jesus. He's the only one who can finally give you an answer to the question that you are worth it, that you are loved, that you are valuable, that you have worth, that you are seen, that you matter. So is it worth it to be tethered to that one by faith? Absolutely. I will sell everything. I will give everything away so that I can have that relationship with him. I will willingly suffer these persecutions. I will willingly go through hell if I can just hold on to this relationship with love himself. Because without that, nothing's worth it. Like the saints, guys, it's the saints and the martyrs who witnessed to me like this truth. They were willing to let go of everything, including their bodily health, their bodily life, <coughs> to keep holding on to the truth of the gospel. They never sold out. Like the, the martyr we heard about in Mass today, St. Justin Martyr. All he was asked to do, all he was asked to do was take a little bit of incense and to put it on the altar of the Roman gods. That was all he was asked to do. Just take a little incense and put it right there. And he refused. He said, I cannot do that. I am a Christian. Because if I do that, if I compromise there when my life is on the line, like, how is that honoring the Lord? How is that honoring the Lord who sacrificed for me? How could I deny him who never denied me? You know, one of my favorite saints, one of my favorite saints is, his name is Jose Sanchez Del Rio. Jose Sanchez Del Rio. Anybody heard of Jose Sanchez Del Rio? Victoria has, how many has? Okay. So back in the beginning of the uh, 20th century, so we're talking the 1900s, the beginning of the 1900s, an atheistic communist regime came to power in Mexico under a president named Plutarco Callez. He was an atheist who hated Christianity, who hated the gospel, and he wanted to stamp out all religion. So he began this insane persecution of Christians. He rounded up priests and bishops, nuns, and he had them executed. Thousands of priests, thousands of nuns, thousands of bishops were murdered at the beginning of the 20th century in Mexico. Churches were burned, convents were looted, and it began this war between the people and the government called the Cristero War. These Cristeros, as they were called, were these freedom fighters, essentially. They were faithful Catholics who wanted to fight back and say, no, our faith is important to us. And they had this rallying cry. It was, Viva Cristo Rey. Long live Christ the King. Long live Christ the King. Jose Sanchez del Rio, he, was, uh, he, he entered the, the, the army. He joined the Cristeros. And during one decisive battle, this, the general for the, uh, for the Cristeros, his horse was shot. And he fell off his horse. And the generals are going to be captured by the government soldiers. And so Jose hops off his horse, gives his horse to the general, and says, you, you are more important than me. Like, Flee. And he did it knowing that he was going to be captured. So Jose is captured by the government officials. And he's held in prison. And he's tortured over and over and over again. 
And they're telling him, all you have to do, all you have to do is say, death to Christ the King, and we'll let you go free. That's all you have to do. They even said, you don't even have to mean it in your heart. You can just say the words and believe something else in your heart. And he refused to do it. They even got his godparents to come, who were now on the government side. His godparents visited him in prison and said, Jose, please, just say the words. Just say the words. And he refused. He absolutely refused. They continued to torture him and starve him. And then one day, they took a fillet knife and they cut the skin off the bottoms of his feet. And then they made him march through town on the cobblestone streets to a cemetery where his parents and his godparents were forced to wait for him. And they asked him one more time, say, death to Christ the King. And he told his parents, he said, tell Christ the King, I shall be with him soon. And he said one more time, viva Cristo Rey. And they shot him and kicked his body into the grave. I want you to show what, I want you to see what Jose Sanchez del Rio looked like at the time he was martyred for his faith. Can you see that? He was 12. Living the faith to the bitter end was absolutely worth it. Look, I very much doubt that any of you will have the skin on the bottoms of your feet uh, cut off anytime soon and march through town to your death. But uh, the reality is you're going to be overwhelmingly tempted in the coming years in high school. You're going to be tempted to put your faith on the back burner. You're going to be tempted to do things that um, other people are doing, things that are, people are saying, this, you know, do this to fit in. Like even those of you who are going to so-called Catholic high schools, you're going to be tempted immensely. Like the social pressure to fit in, to do what everyone else is doing, to compromise on different things and to not stand up for the truth to not to like to stop praying, to stop coming to mass, to stop investing your faith, to stop growing. You're going to be just told you've learned enough. And the church doesn't really know. The church doesn't really care. You're going to be overwhelmingly tempted. It's going to be huge. And the reality is only you only you can decide if it's worth it. Only you can decide. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, your Son Jesus left heaven. He bankrupted heaven to come to earth to find us, the prodigal sons and daughters, the lost sheep. He looks at us and says, you are worth it. You matter. So Father, I 
I ask you to send your spirit upon my dear young friends that as we reflect and pray, as we open our hearts more and more to you, Father, that we would have the courage and conviction to live this faith, to say yes, because only we can say yes to you for ourselves. We ask, Holy Spirit, for an outpouring of the grace for the gift of courage to keep saying yes, to keep growing in our faith, to keep pursuing you, Lord. For that is the adventure. That's everything. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.